Hello and welcome back to The Rewind. I'm Josh and this is a podcast where I watch a bunch of movies and talk about them with my friends. Today's episode is about both Climax and Triple Frontier and I am happy to be joined by my friends Ben Lubin and Elijah Howard. Guys, how's it going? Uh, Going great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, Elijah, what's up? I'm great, man. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so we're going to start with Climax, and then we'll, uh, and then Ben is going to leave us, and I'll, Elijah and I will just talk a little bit about Triple Frontier, but we're, like I said, we're first going to do Climax. Climax Climax is the newest film from uh, Argentinian-French filmmaker Gaspar Noé. It is a movie that is set in the mid-'90s at a... Wh- how would you guys describe the actual building this movie is in, like... Um, well, it's in a school. A school, yeah. It's like it's like a school... It's an abandoned school. Like, right. Yeah, it's set in like a, ba- a dance troupe in an abandoned school, but as the movie opens, we see someone crawling through the snow and bloodied and uh, kind of led to believe it's something that happens later off in the film and then we jump back into seeing a bunch of these different dancers from this dance group being interviewed as to a bunch of different things as dancers of different genders nationalities races backgrounds sexual orientations talking about everything their hopes dreams dancing sex drugs and uh much more and it's a quick way to kind of get an idea of all these people we're going to be having such a fun time with uh then uh, we are brought into a very long dance number and we're going to talk about the dancing in this movie obviously because it's a movie about dancers but that's really just a small part of it but it, we are led into a very important impressive dance number that this dance troupe has all of a sudden put together then as the dance number ends they uh kind of break off into this party and they're just kind of having their own little time to blow steam off and drink and have a good old time uh but then sooner or later they uh, begin to realize that the sangria that they've been drinking for their party has been spiked with lsd and then we're off guys uh I'm uh, as I've told you before we even came on here, and I'll tell the listeners I'm a bit of a novice. This was my first Gaspar Noé film, and I'm fairly certain that's going to be the case for a decent chunk of listeners because this is, I think, the first of his films to get a pretty decent size uh, U.S. release on a bunch of screens, thanks to the good folks at A24. So I want to ask, because uh, I know you guys do know his his filmography pretty well, uh, what was your relationship with his prior films, and uh, what do you expect with, if anything, when you go into one of his films, and then what would you overall think of this one? I'll start with you, Ben. Uh, well, my relationship with No Way up until this point has not been what I would call positive. Um, okay, okay, okay. I'm actually, so his last movie, which I want to say it was like 2014, 2015, um, was a movie called Love. Yeah. I hate that movie with <laughs> a burning, fiery passion. Really? And it kind of represents a lot of what, I, so I, I, I don't like to use the word pretentious. I think it is massively overused to the point that it's kind of lost its actual meaning. Noé is one of the few people I think it really, really applies to. Um, I think I've, I've always got the feeling that he has these big, grandiose ideas and big, grandiose concepts, mm-hmm. but he's been unable to execute them in a way that has actively felt meaningful to me. He's always been an incredibly skilled filmmaker from a technical perspective. Um, and you can see that in this movie. You can see that in all of his movies. There is some really, really brilliant filmmaking going on, but it's never really felt worthwhile to me. And I had heard good things about Climax from people I trust going into it. So I had some hopes that I would feel a little better about this one. But I was surprised by how much I really loved it. Mm-hmm. Um, it is one of the more, for me, bruising cinematic experiences I've had in a while. 
um, but in a way that felt incredibly meaningful. And actually, it reminded me of what making art feels like on some level and in both a positive and negative way. Um, so I, I, I really like this and I didn't necessarily think I would based off his last movie, last few movies. Elijah, did you have a more positive relationship with him prior to this? Maybe to, to some extent. I mean, I, I would say that I, appreciated all of his films, um, you know, technically speaking, except for love. I mean, I, I think, <laughs> I, I think love is the pretty obvious outlier in his career in just terms of it's not as technically ambitious as his other films. It's not as, as even thematically ambitious. It's just, uh, it's, it's, it's exploitative, which I didn't, uh, you know, I, I really don't appreciate, but, um, I, I, all of his films, I kind of had this reaction where it's like, I'll watch them and I'll be like, what the hell was that? And then I'll go back to them later and be like, okay, that was pretty damn impressive the way that was done. And then, you know, I'll, I'll eventually settle on this. Okay. I generally liked it. And I mean, as, as for the guy himself, I think I've said this before, um, to you guys, I just, you know, I, there is definitely a, an air of pretension to him. I think, I think Ben's right about that. Um, but it's so almost naive and, and like innocent that it's hard to dislike the guy. I mean, like you watch like his criterion closet video and he just like, he's so excited about all these horror films and about like solo and all, like all these, like he's, he's very reverent and he's very, um, he, he just seems like a generally a kind of nice person. And, and everybody that I've, you know, heard speak about him on set has said that he's a, you know, he's a great artistic collaborator. He's super, um, you know, into hearing critiques and hearing different ideas about how something should be approached. Um, so I think, I think it's, uh, impressive that you can have that and still have a film like Climax where it's, uh, uh, yeah, like it just a, it's such a razor sharp and like totally unsettling film. So, and I loved it. I yeah. mean, I, I live for those kind of things. So, and, and we'll get, we'll get, uh, I promise we'll get to the specifics of the film in a minute, but I, I, I need to ask you guys because I think part of my experience watching this film came from just the preconceived ideas I had of what No Way was as a filmmaker before I went in because I, I think I, I, I been, a lot of people just seeing people say, oh man, that really fucked me up. Oh my God. And what I'd heard about him from his other films, it seemed like, well, first of all, Climax goes to some very dark, twisted places, but I almost got the impression that, like, it kind of stopped short of, like, going as far as some of his other films in certain ways. Is that a fair statement to make? I don't think so. Oh, okay, really? I, I think, I mean, I think in terms of viscerality, yeah. maybe less, maybe less so. I mean, I mean okay, I'm not going to, I won't mince words. I, Gaspar Noy is relatively infamous for depicting a single take, what is it, like, eight or nine minute rape scene? I think it's 12. The, is it 12? Jesus Christ. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it, it, so, Elijah's talking about a movie called Irreversible, which is the movie that basically made Noe's career. Right. Uh, it's one of the most famously provocative movies of its time. My issue with that, with, with the movie, is I don't feel like there's much more beyond the provocation, which is very visceral and very unsettling and very traumatic to, right. to experience vicariously, but... 
it's ne it never felt like there was much more to it than that. And so he's always had this reputation as a provocateur, and which I mean he and is. I, I and I think what I what I'm trying to say is that for this for this film, why I think I walked out of this film and said this is definitely his most winding film is because it has that provoc. It doesn't have you know it doesn't have a 12 minute single take rape scene, but it has other things in it that are very bad oh, that I think. Sure hit you on a completely different level because of how actually, and again, I don't want to downplay a rape in a film, but the, I, the things that happen in climax, even though they may not be as visceral are just like, there's levels to how, like how screwed up they are and how thematically important they are too. Um, I, so I'd it, agree with that. It hits you all. Irreversible screws with your head, climax screws with your soul. Okay, exactly. fair enough. And I guess I just had been – I just braced myself for something that was maybe just even uh, more provocative because of just the things I'd heard. And I appreciate you guys talking about his prior films and the way you did with without spoiling anything beyond the 12-minute single-take rape scene. So I got Irreversible pretty far down on my priority of things to watch now uh, because of that. But I think I just expected many more things of that nature that went maybe to that length. So I guess what I'm saying is that like – Yes, while this movie goes to some fairly dark places, I, I've, I, I was actually like just like kind of pleasantly surprised watching maybe like the first forty five minutes of it, and I was like, man, some of this is kind of edgy, and I'm guessing it's going to go to some pretty messed up spots, but like I'm enjoying myself like way more than I expected myself to, and I guess you're kind of laughing, Elijah, and I think you, 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 you it's just, you're probably laughing at someone that's like as just going in naive to something like that, but that was just like my experience, and I, I had pretty positive feelings about the movie for a while, you know. Yeah, I mean, this it's definitely a movie that relishes the artistry for a good chunk of time before just completely jumping off a cliff like and it's it's a great jump like it's like <laughs> oh, yeah. but it is jumping right off a cliff like it's insane and it does happen just like that. Right. Like, yeah, I will say the movie has one of my favorite credit drops. Oh, that I've yeah. ever seen. <laughs> um, I'm guessing you enjoyed that more than the one we got a couple months ago in Vice, as far as premature credit drops go. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, that that would be fair to say, Josh. That would that would yeah. definitely be fair to say. Yeah. What 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 did it, what did that mean to you? Um. I so outside of the fact that it was just extremely well done and stylish, and I. Say what you will about Noe, but he he knows how to do some fun things with his credits and, mm -hmm. and titles. Um, but it just it, it it struck a very good note for okay, this is where shit gets real. Right. This is where the drugs kick in. This is where we're going to that next level. And even up until that point. The dancing itself was visceral. There was a viscerality to the movie. It was more pleasurable than what we would get later in the movie. But he, like, no way had already gotten me fairly hooked in the rhythms that I think I needed to be hooked onto. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of a you you ain't seen nothing yet. Right. Right. No. Yeah. Um, no, I, I, no I, I mean, I obviously agree having seen the whole thing now, but before we even get to where the, the, the bottom of this cliff, I, I want to ask you guys, was there a moment like during that party scene, which is probably my favorite stretch of the movie, because I mean, there's all these different wonders, but like I just kept thinking about during that party scene, like, man, this has to be like harder to choreograph than the dance itself, you know? 
and I was just like really impressed with that. And I thought like it was still letting you like learn a lot about these people. And for a minute, like I thought that was going to be the whole movie. In, in a way, like I, because I, I, like I know nothing about this guy other than that he's just a little out there, and I'm like, man, like could this whole entire movie just be as like these seeing seeing these people's like relationships and just how tensions can't even build over the course of like a party when there are people being slightly altered, not to the extent that they ultimately are, and like I don't know, I, I just quite enjoyed like seeing it evolve in that manner before it totally devolved. Yeah, I mean, I and before because. The, the thing about Gaspar Noy films that tends to be the case is that his movies don't feel like it, but they are like, you know, eight shots. Mm-hmm. It's just like a bunch of single takes. But this film had something interesting that happened early on, um, which was the at the party, the jumping between conversations. Right. That's like that was really cutty for um, for Gaspar Noy to to have these like these short like even within one conversation you'd get these smash cuts between different pieces of the same conversation, and I mean that that was uni- that that threw me off as somebody who you know was familiar with Gaspar Noy's style to be like whoa, whoa, whoa this is not normal for him. Um, but on top of that, I think what it did is it showcased something which I was definitely not expecting. I mean, I had heard about from other people but was not expecting, which was that the acting was actually really good um, in, in a movie that, you know, pretty much entirely non-actresses besides, you know, Sophia Boutet and a couple of other people. Like, um, that, that Wait, everybody, I thought it was just her. I, yeah, I mean, I think some other people have, like, you know, theater experience, or, you All know, right. maybe, like, but nobody has, like, you know, actually has screen experience. So, um to see them pull off this very, you know, heightened, re- like, you know, ultra realism kind of like, or hyper realism, I guess would be the phrase I'm looking for, where there's a, you know, this heightened sense of reality to it, um, which is not an easy thing to, you know, I think we take that for granted sometimes, but if you look at a film like Good Time or whatever, where it's that also that hyper realism, that's not an easy acting maneuver to pull off. So I was immediately impressed by both the, you know, the stylistic decision to break from what he normally does there. Um, and, you know, just this great preview of the, the acting that was to come, which I was not expecting. Uh, yeah. I yeah mean, he, he gets us invested in the characters before everything goes to hell. Yeah. I really appreciate that. And I also think there is a version in this movie where like, it's still entertaining and very worthwhile that where you, they don't bother with that still. And they don't, they don't have these actors, um, performing just they're not asking as much of the actors as they ultimately do but and they were up to the task even though like you said most of them aren't professional actors and uh i quite enjoyed that one other thing i didn't know when i was going to mention it but i kind of just want to mention it now and i don't know if you guys had looked much into the production of this film but i was just doing my research on uh wikipedia which as you know is always reliable and apparently apparently uh no i conceived of this movie in like november december of 2017 and then it premiered at Cannes in 2018. Uh, no, I don't know if you guys knew that, if that makes sense to you having watched this film or if it just gives you a greater respect for what he accomplished. But it's kind of incredible, like, conceiving of and shooting this film in, like, less than six months. Well, it, it does, but I think the more impressive thing to me is how they actually made it and how much freedom he gave to the dancers to actually right. create much of the movie. Um, I mean, we talked about choreography. This was not a... To put it mildly, this was not a tightly scripted movie. Um, and one of you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but it was largely improvised by the dancers, right? Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, I think the, the screenplay was five pages long. Yeah. Oh, wow. I didn't see that. Yeah. No, like most of the character choices, most of the plot was pretty 
created on the spot. And that like, that's part of what was so impressive to me. And I think part of, I mean, Elijah, you talked earlier about how in a way is been praised as an artistic collaborator. So much of what worked in this movie was him assembling the right people, getting them to the place to do what they need to do. And then letting that, letting the crew, letting the, the dancers take over. Yep. And I think we have to talk about uh, Benoit. Yeah, Benoit Debbie. I mean, he's a um, Jesus Christ. Like, I mean, he was he like he didn't need to prove himself to be one of my favorite cinematographers because he was already well there. But the camera work in this movie, it was like impressive. Doesn't even being described. It was really, really incredible. Uh, um, like and without for, for the uninitiated, what, what, from what else uh, does he have your respect? Well, uh, he's he's been uh, Noé's cinematographer for a while, and say what you will about say what I will about his other movies, they've been incredibly well shot, and Enter the Void especially is really pretty remarkable. Um, but um, another Don't... movie you you probably know him from uh, is Spring Breakers. Oh, okay. Um, which, and actually the beach bum coming out soon. Um, but yeah, no, he, the way he, his, his use of color, it's otherworldly. And, and in this movie beyond like how incredible the, the, the coloring, like the color was the camera, the camera work is almost animalistic on, um, and it needs to be as free as the actor's. I mean, so much of the movie is upside down. It's shot at unusual angle angles. It's shot in these like one wonders, and that's that's not easy. While you're ta- while, while, while you're talking about the cinematography, I want to ask you then: How does a scene like that second dance scene come to be? Do they just tape a camera to the ceiling, or because I'm, I'm guessing it's a little more complicated than that? It's a it's a crane just over the over the circle, pointed down ninety degrees. I mean, that's okay. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean that 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 was that I mean that was I mean I, I really enjoyed that first dance sequence a lot. I can't tell you I can't honestly sit here and say I'm gonna, I'm really looking forward to rewatching this movie. I mean or, I mean no. some of some of this stuff at the bottom of this cliff we've been mentioning uh the main reason why, but I could certainly see myself rewatching like the first like 35 minutes of it and watching that first dance scene and, and that second dance scene to some of the stuff they're doing where they're um it looks like got people are just like um, spring themselves up in the air and just like landing on their backs and it's like very very uh, I, it's, I mean it's riveting and I, I I was really taken by it and really that they can do something do cool tricks like that but also just the long uh, single take shots is it, I mean it, it was just really fun to watch this appreciating how it was shot yeah I mean and I don't know at what point we want to start diving into you know the thematic material and things like that but I I just love that D- you know D- dive wherever you want to dive I okay um, I'll follow along if you want to go there now <laughs> I mean yeah Ben mentioned you know that that animalistic nature of the camera and that kind of that really raw elemental energy um, but I think it's important to you know to point out how there is a there definitely is a deep intentionality to a lot of the camera work and specifically to the the two dance sequences at the beginning for those who you know need a refresher the the film opens after the you know after the the interviews the film starts with a what is it like 10 minute dance scene 
um, which is all a single take. Something like that, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, and that one is filmed very, tra- I would almost say traditionally. It's almost like watching an MGM musical. I mean, the camera is very largely parallel to the to the actors, and you know, moves forward and backward and in between. But um, it's somewhat traditional. I and mean, then, well, so I, I, it, it's a lot less unusual than, than the camera work will get later on. But I, I, I think the thing that struck me is even if it is traditional, it's in no way static. It, like the camera, oh, no, 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 even no. at that point, is moving really, really fluidly. I, I, I saw I, this I movie literally two hours ago, so it's still very fresh in my head. No, but. no, no. Of course, I understand. And yeah, I mean, that's my the what I was getting at is that you contrast that to the second large dance sequence, which is another I, I don't know eight or ten minute single take shot of dancing again, but it's a um, it's shot from this direct top down look, and I think that. Just that really simple choice of showing us the dancing in, th- you know, in 3D at the beginning, you know, where we get this full-on look at what's going on, and then reducing it to this, to, you know, to what we see from the top down, which is essentially just these really raw and kind of, you know, strange movements. It, it's it's interesting to think about how different the dance looks from the top down, and how something that we kind of thought was like we were blown away with like how beautiful it was from one angle we look at from the top down and it looks a lot stranger um and i liked that when you look at from the top down you can sort of see how there's these modes um between especially between men and women uh dancers and the places where those lines blur where the women's dances when we see them from the top down we like we get a different sense of how sexual they are like a lot of them, a lot of the dances involve women like on the ground, basically fondling themselves kind of. And the men's dances are super aggressive and violent mm-hmm. and, you know, are them flinging their arms around and punching at the air and things like that. And you don't really, I don't think you notice that when everybody is in a group coherent together front on. And then you get this top down look at all the dancers individually. And it's a lot more is a lot more uh, disorienting and shocking. Well, it's kind of interesting. Like, I, I well, violent was the word I was going to use too, because I was kind of struggling to just kind of describe my thoughts on those ones where it just seemed like they were like landing on their backs really hard. But violent was the term that came to mind for me. But in a way, it's almost not. It's it's not exactly even foreshadowing though the actions that we're going to see the rest of the movie because we see some pretty violent women as well. You know what I mean? But right. And that's what I, and that's what I was saying. That's what I was getting at was that there is a blurring of the lines, yeah. and I think you know when you get into the larger, the larger themes of this movie and talking about um, you know I think, you know if we want to stay large and talk about something like gender roles, or if we want to narrow it down to specifically I think you know the European perception of gender roles in you know today's, today's modern era, if you will. Um, I think that's an important distinction to, to recognize early on that, you know, just how blurry that line is. And I appreciated that. I appreciated that there was this, you know, sense of, you know, women that present more masculine men that present more feminine, you know, things like that. Um, and how those all play into the physicality of their roles and also play into the storytelling later on. Cause those same people that we see, you know, exchanging those traits, become you know important characters because of those things so yeah and I, I think one of the things that struck me you, you talked about how 
kind of the dance from a different angle becomes almost kind of strange. And one of the things that's kind of struck me about the movie, and I think that connects to like what for me was more of the thematic takeaway was how much how much is contained within the human body and how much strangeness and how much potential the human body carries all the potential for heaven, for hell, as no way very helpfully reminds us early on in the movie. Exactly. Um, for, for, but so much of kind of those early sections are showing that the human body can be turned into something strange, something that we can't quite recognize, um, something that we may not think that the humanity or the human body is capable of. So when certainly, we go certainly nothing, it, certainly nothing, my body's capable of. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, are you telling me you are not uh, an avant-garde German dancer, Josh? I might be the furthest thing from an avant-garde German dancer. I'm, I'm, the, I'm, the, I'm the furthest thing from and just about any kind of dancer, but sorry, sorry, continue. <laughs> I think a lot of what I loved about the movie was this kind of continuous treatment of the bot, like of the body as kind of the home of, of everything. It, it's kind of almost a rejection of kind of ex- the externalization of the externalization of value, I would say. Um, and I think a lot of that, because I, I, if so much of it is improvised, I think a lot of it is driven by the spirit of what dance is, which is raw in the moment, expressive but all very determined by the body well i hear what you're saying i hear what you're saying about the body and i and it make it, it makes a lot of sense but and I'll, st- I'll preface this by saying i've never taken lsd and i'm not going to ask you guys to comment on uh, any drug exp- drug related experience you've had but um what do you think it says then where he you might he know might, i might be saying all this stuff about the body but then he chooses to um throw this little chemical into the movie and kind of alter the body in a way i mean what did you think about that choice in the context of the point you were just making um well one without going into too much detail and personal experiences i will say the movie isn't and i i don't think no way has ever said otherwise it's not meant to be the most realistic treatment of acid specifically true true um there's something deeply psychedelic about the movie but the acid is more an excuse than something actually tangible it's the reason why all this happens, but it's not something. It's it like it is the equivalent of a MacGuffin. Yeah, okay. I would say. Good. Gotcha. Um, and it basically just creates an excuse within, the like the context of the movie, for these dancers to go to this level of extremity. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was more an excuse than something I think, really tangible. Uh, I, I don't know if you you agree or disagree, Elijah. Yeah, and I mean, and I'll bite there on the, you know, the notion of it as an excuse, because I still want to drag this back to the political, you know, modern implications. And I think, sure. uh, I mean, I don't think the film is particularly covert about it. I mean, you literally have characters at one point shouting something like, those damn yanks, you know, we're going to kill them all <laughs> or something like that. And I, I think this film is definitely, you know, it's a, I think it's about that you know, uh, you know, the human body and what it's capable of. Um, and I think it's, you know, extrapolated to the ways that, uh, European culture, especially French culture, um, holds these sort of archaic, uh, you know, understandings of 
what the body should be used for. Um, and I think, you know, the LSD again works as an excuse in that regard. It allows them, uh, to, you know, to, to freely do what they want to do, but they realize that they shouldn't be doing necessarily, um, whether that's, you know, having sex in the middle of the dance floor or, you know, violently assaulting other people. <laughs> um, yeah, no, the, the momentary impulses that would normally be dismissed as, oh, that's horrible, are just brought to the surface. The subtext is elevated, like with the brother and sister who have a very interesting relationship. Yeah. Um, that, that's, that's a very kind way of putting it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I don't. You, you didn't say we're past the spoilers. Oh yeah, we'll, 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 yeah. We'll, yeah, no, we'll, we'll we'll jump off that cliff now. I mean, I I think we've done a pretty good job of just hinting at how how deranged this movie gets without giving away most of the pretty deranged things that happen. Um, if you that this sounds like a movie that would be your cup of tea because it it seems like most of Gaspar Noe's works are either your cup of tea or very much not your cup of tea. But uh, definitely go and watch it if you think so, and then come back and listen to the rest because I I do want to start talking about some of the crazy shit that happens, but. Uh, Sorry, you can go ahead and keep making your points. I mean, so, I mean, it, it basically the the LSD it doesn't do much more than bring all the subtext up to the realm of text. The the primal screams, the horrible things people do, brothers fucking sisters, beating white boys. They're like <laughs> characters are jealous of over the head with a bottle and drawing a swastika on their face. It's not that. I mean, those impulses were created by the LSD. I mean, attempt, attempted sexual assault. I mean, on top of all of that, yeah. I mean, uh, there are a lot of other things. Yeah, Look, if we're going to make a list of every horrible thing that happens in this movie, <laughs> yeah. we're going to be here for about as long as the movie actually was. Right, right. Um, fair, fair point. But, but basically, it just these are impulses that these characters have that normally they would never act on. That maybe wouldn't be. They have enough of a moral compass to push, push below, but these impulses are there, and if you can't ignore those impulses, if you have to act on every momentary guttural urge and feeling you have, that's all the LSD does. It brings that to the surface. And I think it also, I mean, I, I mean, I don't know if this is an intention, but what I found myself thinking about a lot was just like, I mean. A lot of the insecurities that artists probably actually do have in general, and I guess uh, when, when you're when you're in a setting like that, it's um, I mean a lot a lot a lot of stuff is going to go unsaid, and despite the fact that there's going to be a lot of just uh, whether it be jealousy, guilt, anger, um, lust, whatever it may be, I think when you put a bunch of artists in a confined space like that, working very closely together, there's a lot of stuff. And I, you already made the comment about it just ends up a lot of the subtext just comes to the surface. But I think it's, uh, it's very specifically, though, a lot of those things are going to be present when you find a, a bunch of creative people in a very small competitive space. And I guess, like you said, the, um, the acid is just kind of a shortcut to just allowing a lot of those insecurities and possible feelings uh let them bubble up to the surface and actually manifest themselves in like actions and because it's something that's much more uh intense than your regular lsd trip i suppose like i said i wouldn't know uh it's gonna go to some pretty dark places like this movie does 
Well, yeah, and I mean, the movie pretty much specifically dictates that to you because, I mean, once the once it's discovered that the sangria has been spiked and uh, you know everybody's high, yeah, it becomes it becomes a who done it. Well, their response is their response is to to try to track down the person responsible for it, but when they find people who they think are responsible, it's not. There's no accountability. They kill one guy by throwing him out into the middle of a snowstorm. Yeah. And they permanently traumatize another person. There were no, there were no, there were no lawyers that had uh, in in this dance crew to organize proceedings. If you ask me, so. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, but yeah, I mean, I mean, hell, they even get to the point of um, assaulting pregnant women that they think might have done it. You know, and again, I'm not going to and forcing pregnant women into psychotic breaks that lead to self-abortion. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. 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 Uh, things do not happen. Uh, yeah. A lot. Of, just got a lot of bad things. I don't know. Uh, I mean, in the context of all this bad stuff, um, uh, do, do you think it served any purpose to like um, make a eight year old kid go on an acid trip? Yeah. I mean, because to me, if I'm again going to continue to extrapolate this theme of you know what you're doing, what what people you know, what people's mentalities and thought processes about the human body and about human interaction are doing, I think it's very symbolic. I mean, of you know, when, whenever a child dies in a movie, um, you know, there's usually a very, you know, important subtext to that. And I, I don't think this movie is any different. I think, you know, having the child uh, get that glimpse of what's going on in the real world is about the loss of innocence. It's about, you know, that we've, you know, in our, and I'm, I'm saying are like I'm grouping myself in with the people in this movie, but um, you're basically you one know. of them as far as I'm concerned. Is that what you think we do at Turner on a daily basis? <laughs> uh, something, something Illuminati. Right. Um, but uh, I think, you know, they're, they're they're not malicious they're just stupid and in their stupidity and in their you know self-obsession they've you know allowed future generations to go to waste um you know and that that loss of innocence i think is manifest in the interaction between the mother who's i think her the character's name is emmanuel right or correct yeah, yeah. Uh, between emmanuel and her son who I'm not sure he's right yeah Tito um you know their interaction throughout the film which is um, it's it's an interesting microcosm because it never really leaves that one little area um and it just sort of becomes something that every time the camera passes back through we keep witnessing again and again and again Um, one interesting thing about that, that dynamic is early on before before the acid we see her telling her son how much she wants him to be a dancer yeah. Um, and I, the, at that time, we take it as a positive thing. We take it to be this desire for all of the good things, the freedom at this point that we've come to associate with dance. Because at this point, we only have those opening numbers. But, I mean, what it actually ends up being is the darkness. Um, and that desire for for uninhibited freedom ends up, like like Elijah said, uh, being consequential for the most vulnerable and the most innocent 
of the group, the, the next generation, the child. Yeah. And it's about self-gratification, too, because, yeah. I mean, there's a, you know, there's, a, there's an, a dynamic of the conversations that occur earlier in the film where several characters kind of hint at the fact that Emmanuel has lost her stride because of having a child and how that's like a, a bad thing. And it's, it's sort of the, you know, teeter back and forth between, you know, opinions on that. Um, but ultimately when we, in that scene where, um, Emmanuel tells Tito, uh, you know, I want you to, to be a dancer. She also ends the conversation with him by saying, tell me I'm a good mother. Yeah. Which I thought was such a great, um, you know, kind of like vaguely twisted way of having that go, which is like, it's not about her actions. It's about the actions coming back to her. Well, I also guess um, it, it gets at what you were saying earlier, too, about the movie, just like looking at gender norms in various ways, because, I mean, uh, that, that I mean, outside of just like the French dance scene in the 1990s, like that's a pretty relevant theme today, just like whether or not like. It is a woman can afford to just have children in the entertainment industry or in yeah. or really any industry. And, and I mean, hell, I, I see it in pretty obvious ways, just even in the legal industry, just like what 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 effect that has on their careers, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, especially like in, in the case of dance in this movie, I think part of what it is is the notion that you give all of yourself to what you do. Right. And when you have a kid, you are. You can't do that because in, on some level you are now living for them. You can't be as raw as open. You can't just you just can't give as much of yourself. And so there's the idea that these characters have, and that is a belief that exists. That once you have kids, you you have lost the ability to like be as fully involved or to be as great as you could have been. And the validity of that is a whole different conversation that <laughs> has probably done a lot of harm to society. But yeah, and I, we, we see that uh, with the, the pregnant woman. I think her name was Lou. I, I'm not. That's correct. Yeah. Like that, the implication is why she hasn't told anyone she's pregnant and why she has anxiety about being pregnant is the feeling that she'll be perceived as being like past her prime and that she will be isolated from the group because she now is unable to be as fully involved. Yeah. And I mean, I, I like the, the, the way that this movie approaches, I mean, this is going to sound really fucked up, but I like the way this movie approaches children in, in almost a sort of body horror kind of way where it's like, they're not yeah. real. They're not real entities. They're pieces of you, of your physical essence. And it's like with Lou, her child is like a growth inside of her. It's not really a child. It's like a, just like a physical, like attached so, piece attached to her. Something. Have you seen evolution? The, like the old film? No, the okay. like Gaspar Noé's wife's movie. Oh no, I I don't think I have. Okay, um, Gaspar Noé's wife is also a filmmaker. I, I her first name is Lucille. I always I can never pronounce her last name. It's something long and Eastern European. <laughs> um, but jeez, I, 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 I just put it up. That that is a name. I'm not going to try yeah. it either. I was going to try and save save you, and then nope, 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 nope. Yeah. Um, but she, she came out one, one of her movies that came out a few years ago is called Evolution, and it is basically the alt like it's ch- like children as body horror and pregnancy as body horror taken to extremes that I they're it's a very uncomfortable movie to watch. 
Um, but seeing kind of her perspective on that, it it lines up, I think, with how No Way views children in this movie or how he presents how characters view children in this movie, but goes a lot further. Hmm. It, it's worth it watching. It, it's, it's just it's especially uncomfortable for men. I will say that. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, without without giving too much away. It's saying a lot because I'm a man, and oh, the, a lot of the rest of this movie that we haven't even really talked about yet was very uncomfortable for me. We don't like again, like uh, Ben said, we don't need to run through like every like horrific thing that happens in the rest of the movie. But I mean, I I, I, I did want to like note like was there any was there any like other part of this movie that really like moved you or is going to stick with you? Just any of the other long wonders that they had, or just any of the just the really messed up visuals that we were uh that were served up for us i mean is there just anything else that you guys like really want to talk about like man that, that i i can't believe he went there or anything like that just quickly before we get to that for everybody yeah. at home evolution is on netflix i, I thought i had recognized ah, the name okay. in the, the year um it's on netflix it, i believe it was like netflix produced so gotcha. you can go check it out which i will be doing yeah yeah it, I, I i will again say it's like just gird your stomach for it. It's a hard watch, but it's it is very good. Hmm. Okay, interesting. Um, but I guess to answer your question, Josh, it's there's a weird moment in the movie that for me was just when it kind of went to the next level. Um, because I mean, with a movie like this, audiovisual cueing is so important. Like, it needs to work on this very visceral level. And the moment for me that I just I was under the spell of the movie. Right. was when Apex Twin starts. I, I want to say the song was Window Licker. Was, 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 was that right? I think so, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, but it's the moment when suddenly just everything came together for me. It's the start of, I think it may have been the start of like the really long take. Okay. But it's when basically when Sophia Batella walks into the, the, the long hallway for the first time. Gotcha. And it's the moment where like her character really starts breaking down. But just the way the music works with the movie the way like her character just fully loses herself in the moment and lets it, it she, she's basically screaming for a lot of this early section mm-hmm. but there's just something about it like i i was already into the movie but it's the moment that it really just kind of hit me on a deeper level really yeah it's, it's, it's sometimes it'll be like weird moments like that where just everything comes together in the right way it's not when like and, and this is true for a lot of movies. It's not when the really momentous thing happens that the movie really starts working its magic. It, it'll be a small, weird, almost innocuous moment where everything just comes together in the right way. Mm-hmm. And for me, it was this, this moment for Climax. Yeah, interesting. I mean, a- anything else for you, Elijah, that like just any other like really impressive sequences that you wanted to shout out? Yeah, um, I really liked... So, um, there's this relationship that develops throughout the movie between, uh, the character Psyche, I think her name is, uh, played by Thea Carla Schott, who I I absolutely adore, uh, before the movie, having, having followed her on Instagram for a little while, um, as just, uh, you know, as a dancer and a model, um, I think she's just a really enigmatic looking person. (laughs) Um, so I think this movie utilizes her well, um, Mm -hmm. but her relationship with, I want to say Ivana is the other character's name. Um, that sounds right. But, you know, their whole thing develops. And then later on in the film, Ivana, who is 
kind of been portrayed as, as uh, and I hate to use sort of a, a raw, gross term, but like sex starved, you know, like we come through to her at some points in the, in some of the wonders where she's like literally basically masturbating on a couch. Mm. Uh, but her scene, she comes and she tracks down Sophia Batea's character who I, now I don't remember her character's name, Selva. but Selva, there we go. Um, she tracks her down and, and seduces her and they get interrupted by this guy, David, who yeah we haven't even talked we haven't even talked about him really we haven't talked about David David is such a douchebag and yep. great like um, <laughs> and and I just really love that whole sequence of that you know Ivana's interaction with Salva and their you know like gross alcoholic high romance and then getting briefly interrupted by David who then the, you know, the camera and, you know, the direction starts following him. We leave, uh, Ivana and Selva in their room to their own, you know, affairs. And we start following David as he just basically goes from room to room trying to like find somebody to have sex with. And we start, like we see the, the climax, if you will, of all these individual stories. We see what happens with Ivana and Selva. We see what happens with, in that sequence, we see what happens with, uh, I think his name's Daddy. <laughs> I think yeah. that's what Daddy, uh, the, the DJ and his young male companion, whose name I'm not remembering at this point either. Um, yeah, he's trying like, to have sex with Debbie right. the entirety of this. Yeah, I, 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 I wanted to talk about them too, yeah. And uh, that's the sequence where we also see Gazelle and her brother, uh, her brother assaulting her um, in their room. Like that's that's that sequence where you see all of that. And then I'm pretty sure that scene ends with him getting like getting the shit beat out of him by (laughs) by a bunch of guys in the main room. Um, And I just loved that whole like to me, you know, the 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 quote unquote, the climax of the film, the scene where everything is red and hallucinogenic and filmed upside down. That's great. But the narrative climax to me was that sequence with David, um, you know, him walking through the hallways and getting these little glimpses of all these stories. And I just loved that, you know, there's so much exposition that gets delivered there with like nothing with literally just direction and camera work. Like that's it. Yeah, no, that, that that that's like what really impressed me the most too is just um again, like I, I I'm glad that you guys are having trouble with the names too. I was like a little like self conscious and scared going into this, thinking that like how am I gonna talk about this when it's really hard for me to reference all these different characters. So I appreciate that like I'm not the only one that kind of like had those issues because like I, it was weird. Like I, I never really had that experience where I went into a where I like left a movie like feeling that invested in so many of the characters yet i still couldn't really name them and i guess that is a testament to just like how he did swing the camera around so effectively in that first party sequence and then just the interviews and it's like i feel like i kind of got an idea of what's going on with all these people and i i just enjoyed like checking up on them like elijah said throughout the movie uh that's a weird term to use since they are uh checking up on them i mean like they're obviously not doing well but like or i should say checking in on them and uh and just seeing what's going on and i i I enjoyed that like i felt like i didn't i didn't miss like a single beat or i i felt like i followed each of those stories and i got like a full arc for like so many people in a movie that was like 
like barely an hour and a half long. Uh, I, I don't know. I just think it was really cool how they were able to like see all that through despite all of this crazy shit that was going on. And again, like, yeah, that, that it might've been a lot for me to take in the whole who's upside down red scene at the end. But at the same time, I'm like, if this is where he wants to go with it, I'm cool with it. Cause I feel like he's like, he's told so many stories somehow already that I felt like I got full arcs with. Yeah, and I actually the, the the red scene was probably my least favorite part of the movie. I or like the that that final part of it. I think, and as much as I loved how brief the movie was compared to a lot of Noah's other work, I, I think that went on too long, and it was it was probably the most indulgent part of the it. Movie. It didn't feel of a piece with everything else to me, at least. I don't know. Or so, like I again, you like. It, it was a one or so it's kind of hard to say just cut cut that up a little bit but i right. just I, I think it went on too long mm-hmm. um and i appreciated how incoherent it felt like it actually like that felt like the most appropriate choice because at, for a lot of it you can't even tell which characters you're watching mm-hmm. but it just it felt like it went on too long and it, it actively kind of took me out of the movie uh, one thing I wanted to ask you guys about, and I, I don't really intend to ask you to dwell on this for too long because we are like three straight white guys here having this conversation. But uh, I, I, f- I feel like a lot of the coverage I've seen of the movie is saying like, wow, it's just uh, in some ways a pretty, pretty uh, big achievement just for like LGBTQ presence and like movies and being able to tell those kind of stories. You already mentioned the, the Ivana and Psyche characters and daddy and the guy that's just trying to have sex the whole movie and where it kind of goes with that. I mean, is that something that's like a theme in any of Noah's other movies? Just like kind of different, different kind of queer stories. And uh, did you have any thoughts about that just as like you're watching this movie and how he is able to kind of tell those kinds of stories also? Well, um, certainly queerness and irreversible. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, again, yeah. Again, I'm a little ignorant of his filmography, so yeah. I don't know if it's a positive portrayal of it necessarily. That's, that, yeah, but it, but it's there. It's right, there. right. It's definitely okay. there. I think it's there, and I stand alone too. <laughs> but um, yeah, uh, I would I would say it's certainly his most progressive film. I. Uh, I liked that there was no hidden, you know, there was nothing paid to it. It was just sort of there. Um, it, and it, it doesn't dwell on the queerness. It's just these, this is who these characters are. And a lot of it is coming, and just because of the way he filmed the movie, so much of it is coming from them and the, the way they just choose to naturally be in those characters. Yeah, and it's, yeah. It, 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 you know, there's not, I mean, there's a lot of attacks on people, but I don't think any of them are like motivated by homophobia or anything like that. It's just, again, that's just the nature of the, who these characters are. And some of them engage in homosexual acts, but like, there's not like a lot of judgment or anything that comes with that. It's just too, it's just, those are the characters he chose to have. I think, I think there is, I think there is some notion of it, but it's towards the end when these people have lost all inhibition and they're, you know, they're at a point where all of those deepest, darkest, you know, sensations and, and feelings have bubbled up and boiled over. Um, I do think at one point they, uh, a couple of the guys who assault, I think the guys who oh, assault right. David, so, yeah, the guys so, who yeah, assault so, David so, call him a... I forgot, because someone, yeah. someone kept trying to hook up with him. I forgot about that, yeah. Right. Um, there is, uh, and you know, and it's funny because, well, not it's not funny, certainly not funny, but um, I, it's, there's, a, there's obviously a sense of irony to it, because I think one of the guys that beats him up is one of the guys that way earlier on it says something like, I mean, like, I'd be interested to experiment with men, which is such a great reversal of, like, 
normally it's the character and you know in the portrayals in fiction are usually like it's the guy who always says i would never hook up with the guy who has the deepest seated you know homosexual desires so just the just flipping that switch and just making it be a character who wants to present as being really progressive but deep down is pretty fucked up is right. uh this is an interesting choice wait was that also the character who like when he's having a conversation with his friend talks about how buttholes are gross i think so, he yeah. would never it, it is that guy i think it's that guy yeah gotcha interesting well um yeah i just i i wanted to like at least hit that point and like talk about it a little bit because it felt like it was uh just uh an, an aspect of this film that a lot of people really respected guys before before we sign off i, I want to give every both of you one more chance um ben are there any other final thoughts or things i didn't ask you about or other any anything else you want to hit on before we signed off honestly I, I think one of the reasons why i like this so much more than love uh, in Love, No Way I talked about how he was trying to represent human sexuality in the, the clearest and most vivid way he could. And for him, he did that by showing people actually having sex. Hmm. And for me, that failed because you were trying to show, some, show something that was inexpressible through the physical expression of that thing. Whereas with Climax, so much of it was driven by the feeling of dance, which is an expressible thing. Right. Or, it, or is a thing that expresses other things. So I think in a lot of ways, this is him doing right what he really didn't do with his last movie. Um, and I think I I'm, I'm, wouldn't have said this after love, but I'm actually looking forward to seeing where he goes next. Hmm. All right. Elijah, any final thoughts? Um, yeah, I mean, I when when the movie ended, I think I turned to my friend and said, "Like, so this is what the French have been up to," because it definitely is like, it, in some way, this is. I I would say that this is the French salo. I think that's what I think that's what Noé set out to do, to make a film that has a viscerality and a physical meaning. Um, but be a commentary on a larger, uh, you know, state of existence, both both in the literal term, uh, you know, a state, a nation, and, you know, the way that that country exists. And so I think watching it in that mindset, I, I really, again, I don't want to watch, you know, I think you said, I don't, I'm not planning on seeing this movie again anytime soon, <laughs> but in a long time, when I do get back to it, I really want to, you know, take that mindset uh, in with me into it and, you know, and see where we've gone, uh, you know, uh, with our, uh, with the American, with the French understanding of, you know, sexuality and discourse on, you know, physicality and, and physical nature. So, yeah, I guess what I'll say for myself is that I, I can't say I'm exactly like, I just, uh, Jones in to go watch another one of his movies after just hearing the snippets of what you guys have said about them since we've, since we've been talking here. But I, I think I'm going to like do my homework and watch a couple of them before he has another movie come out. Just so I, I just have a more of a general idea of what to look for, because I mean, I, he gave me so much to look at here and I, and I really enjoyed it. But at the same time, it like, uh, it's a lot to take in. I think when you have, when you're like watching the first film from a filmmaker that has these kind of sensibilities and I, I, like I said, I, I really enjoyed a lot of it, and a lot of it, I was just like, "Man, uh, what is going on here?" 
Um, which I mean, to be fair, a lot of people that are maybe more a little more familiar with him probably had the same had the same thoughts. But at the same time, it's like he's certainly an interesting filmmaker, and I can't deny that. And I'm and I appreciate you guys taking me to school a little bit and just uh, learning a little bit more about him and uh, what he was trying to accomplish here because I certainly grasped some of his intention and a lot of it. I it might it might have just like been a little bit more apparent to me once uh, you guys talked about it. So I appreciate you guys taking the time to break this one down with me, uh, Ben. Before before we let you go, uh, do you have anything you want to plug or anything you want to mention for? Um, honestly, nothing to plug right now. I'm still on Letterboxd and I update it occasionally. Uh, so I'm on there as the plot is lost, all one word. There you go. So if you want to follow me there, go for it. I occasionally post reviews and occasionally take them seriously. <laughs> there you um, go. What a guy! He's not. He's not here just to uh, just to promote himself. Just here to talk movies with us. I appreciate that. Uh, everyone else, uh, stay tuned. Elijah and I are going to talk a little bit about uh, J.C. Chandor's Triple Frontier when we come back. <laughs> And now I'm back here with uh, just Elijah. We've said goodbye to Ben because he said he may or may not get to Triple Frontier in the future. So be curious to hear his thoughts on it when he does. But we got a show to, that must go on. So anyway, Triple Frontier is the newest movie from uh, writer-director J.C. Chandor. It came out on Netflix uh, at the la- end of last week. It stars a bunch of pretty big uh, stars. Oscar Isaac, Ben Affleck, Charlie Hunnam, uh, Garrett Hedlund, Pedro Pascal. And it's uh, it's about uh, Oscar Isaac's character. And, you know, let's just get these nicknames out of the way because they're pretty fun. Uh, uh, Oscar Isaac plays Pope, who he's kind of like the leader of this group of guys. Uh, Charlie Hunnam plays Ironhead. Ben Affleck plays Redfly. Pedro Pascal plays Catfish. He's their pilot. And then there's Ben, played by Harry Hedlund, who for some, for some reason just doesn't get a doesn't get ben, a nickname. I don't know why. Ben's uh-huh. so badass, he doesn't need a nickname. He's just... He just kicks ass on the daily. <laughs> right. So they're, they're, they're all former Army Special Forces guys, uh, Delta Force, whatever. A lot of them have moved on in uh, various ways, but except for Oscar Isaac, who's still doing his own thing, uh, working in the uh, Colombian jungle, doing military man things. It's not really all that important. Uh, having fight shootouts of drug lords all that fun stuff but on the side while when he hasn't been working his day job he's been scoping out this uh colombian drug lord named lorea he has made an informant who is maybe more than an informant a young woman who uh has an in with the family working for them and he has located what he believes to be this drug lord stash house and he's being somewhat altruistic because he says hey if i can topple this drug lord country will be a lot better at the same time i want to make a lot of money but i need a team to rip off the struggle lord so he goes and gets the band back together the band being his old delta force friends and uh then we're off elijah i guess we'll, we'll do a little bit of a spoiler section to talk about like who dies and that kind of stuff but i do want to just talk about the plot of the movie so if you don't want to kind of learn too much about this like the general plot and how this movie's structured then just don't listen until you've gone and seen the movie but um at first elijah i mean I, I guess uh when you go into a movie like this um how high are your expectations because i mean it is like a it is a run-of-the-mill action movie uh in some way in some, or, I, I, actually i don't want to say that because you called it a crime movie and i can see that as well but it seems like it's kind of like maybe a traditional crime action movie uh but at the same time when when an actor or a director like jc shandor is attached who's done like a lot of different interesting things uh what are you thinking or what are you wanting to get out of a movie like this 
Um, you know, I, I would say that by the time I watched the movie, my expectations were fairly tempered. Um, but before that point, I mean, I, I knew I was really excited for it. A most violent year, JC Chandor's previous film, his most recent film before triple frontier, um, was one of my favorite films of 2014. Um, it just, it was a very, um, a very, very like arduous and, and, um, you know, this really just gritty, a uh, crime film that was that was very cerebral and and about people, which I I liked. I mean, I like that angle of all of J. C. Chandor's films that his films are more about people than they are necessarily about you know a story or things like that. So I was kind of looking forward to there being some subversion because I mean I knew what the plot was. Or I knew you know I knew the synopsis, the general right. idea, um, and I I knew some details about at the point at that time who was cast. So I was, I, you know, they had that expectation for it. Yeah. Had, um, had, had a weird pre-production process too. Like tons of different actors cycled in and out. Originally uh, going to be directed yeah. by Catherine Bigelow and written by her collaborator, Mark Bull, who was still, you know, screenwriter with JC Shandor, but went through like a lot of permutations before it got to this one. Yeah. And I mean, when I first found out about the film, I didn't really know about that. And I think that's why my expectations were high. And then, you know, the details started to get filled in about, you know, how how this film came along. And I uh, I can understand, you know, I think there is something to be said that the film is still, you know, it turned out well, um, just uh, given that this it was kind of a, you know, a mess, a really, really messy pre-production. So, yeah. Yeah, and I, I, you know what I'll say is that, like, I mean, I guess I had the same kind of, like, varying expectations that you did, given that I li- really like J.C. Shandor's movies, and I like a lot of these actors, and a- again, I, can- I-, I probably keep-, keep in passing referring to it as an action movie when it's when it- when it's really not that, even if, like, maybe if you watch certain trailers or clips, you might, like, get that impression, but I think even before... And the second half of this movie certainly isn't really an action movie for the most part. There's, like, some scenes. But I guess what I kind of did appreciate about the movie was that I I guess I in my head I thought, oh, maybe there's a version of this movie that's just going to be, like, really just, like, super, super masculine. Not that it's not. And just, like, about these men doing manly shoot em up things. And I, I enjoyed the setup, you know? I mean, I guess there's been other movies about, like, how, like, hey, maybe we don't really, like totally take take care of the troops as well when they come home and when they're done doing their thing it it, it was kind of interesting they had a common thread with a couple of a couple of his other movies and that there's like certainly some economic anxiety at the heart of this thing and i thought that was a good way for the movie to to kind of like set it up and like make you actually feel kind of invested in these characters you know yeah i agree i mean i i think i would say that while watching the film and you know thinking about it afterwards there was definitely elements of it that were pretty um you know elucidated where i was i was sitting back and saying okay i can definitely see where this was going i don't know if the film reached all of its aspirations in those regards but i do think yeah i mean overall the movie has something to say at least about va you know about veterans affairs and about um you know, just the, and I think it kind of feeds into the title of the film. You know, Triple Frontier is obviously it's a it's a it's a referring to to a specific area in South America. But I think you know when you talk about what is what is it when you go past that, and ask you know what does it really mean? To me, I think the Triple Frontier is talking about you know these the different aspects of things that uh, soldiers face when they rotate home when they're no longer soldiers. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I think that it was kind of 
you know, emblematic and broken down in certain parts throughout the movie. These, the, you know, the the economic aspect of it, um, you know, the, their desire to be economically satisfied, um, their desire to act on the moralism that the army teaches, and that need to express that masculinity and that violence, um, you know, it's inherent in the military. So to me, you know, the film touched on those three aspects. And I think, you know, it, for the most part, it, it, it landed pretty well. Um, and I think that when the, when you're going through the setup to kind of bring this back, like you were saying, I think that it did a good job you know, inserting those aspects into it without really bringing them into the text of the film. They were just kind of there in the background. Yeah, I mean, they I mean, they obviously talk about, like, I mean, they do say a lot of times, like, man, after we are done from our country, like, we shouldn't feel, the fact that you even, like, are considering this, you know, it's, it's very telling, and that's uh, what Oscar Isaac is telling a lot of them to do. And I... So, I mean, they talk about it, but then it's like you don't see too much of it. You know, you see you see Ben Affleck selling condos. You see Garrett Hedlund doing, like, um, this off-brand UFC thing that he's doing and uh, Charlie Hunnam giving talks and Pedro Pascal's, like, gotten arrested. And, I mean, it's very efficient. You know, like, I love, I love myself, like, a good getting-the-band-back-together kind of thing, but I don't, like, I don't want it to be, like, half my movie. And uh, I thought they did a good job of just, like, addressing all that and, you know, introducing us to those people, and you, like, understood their motivations pretty well and without having to, like, harp on it for too long, even if, understandably, they need to somewhat because, like, what they're doing is kind of crazy and they should, they should need to be convinced. I agree. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I guess what I, what I want to then is just like kind of get into it when they when they actually get back to Colombia. I mean, I mean that's all. I, I really enjoyed that stuff, and I I'd say like I was like almost like very confused because it looks like they're gonna like pull off this robbery and like you kind of expect something to go wrong because you're like wait I'm like halfway through this movie and you know it's 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 Netflix they're not in the movie theater like it's easy to know how much time's left of the movie and I'm like there's a lot of time left of this movie like something's gonna go wrong and then like it doesn't go like as wrong as it could and you're like huh like what is this gonna be and what did you was it like a pleasant like upending of expectations for you that the movie like goes from being a like uh, heist movie to survival movie and I'll talk about we'll talk about the heist but like what did you think of that choice that they, they make with the story I, you know I appreciated it I do I do like a good inversion every now and again um, I will say that the mechanics of getting the characters to that point maybe was a little bit sloppy in my opinion um, there was at something which, by, at which point are you referring to well I mean if we've already if we've already laid down the spoilers I can I can start talking about like the plot you know right yeah, I didn't, yeah, like I said, I mean, like we're gonna demarcate where we talk about deaths, but like I'm talking, we'll talk plot mechanics from the outset. So I, I feel like there was just some, some maybe contrivances um, that you know I once they were there, you know, once they're you know in the mountains and they're you know stranded kind of thing, I I I liked it, but the steps leading to that point, I kept kind of thinking like eh, like. I see where this is going. Does it really need to be doing it this, you know, blatantly? So, I'm sorry to keep like harping on this, but like, what, what do you mean by that? Like, where do you think it kind of like took shortcuts in that regard? Well, again, if we're gonna t- talk about, oh, are you trying to talk about? Are you trying yeah. to talk about like some of the like actual deaths that I was saying I didn't want to get to? 
Yeah. Oh, okay. I thought you were. I, I thought you were talking about just like how they pulled off the heist. It was. I thought. I thought you were saying that, oh, that, no, no, that, no, no, that, no. that it bothered you, like how they got to that point. No, no, I was confused what you were referring to. I, like what I, what I was saying that before we get before we jump ahead to that, I guess what I was just saying was that like um, it was kind of interesting, like seeing these people just like jump right back into it, and it was like I kind of respect that, like it's kind of apparent like why like they really wanted Redfly Ben Affleck to come along, you know, like he he's able to like kind of scope out this whole kind of thing, and I guess I was like, huh. It is fun, like, watching these guys all of a sudden be able to snap back into action when they've been doing, like, their own things and their outside life, all of them except for Oscar Isaac. And all of a sudden, it's like, man, they're pulling this off. But then all of a sudden, like, Red Fly goes on tilt and, like, almost goes crazy when they're robbing the house. He's like, oh, my God, holy shit, so much money, so much money. And it's like, starts freaking out. I, I just thought it was a cool scene to watch, like, seeing just, like, how torn, like, seeing them tear that house up. At the same time, like, man, like, it seems like they're, like, really, like, pushing it and not being as smart as like we were led to believe all these dudes were and I, it was interesting it was like I, I i enjoyed getting here it was fun watching them playing this thing out and you got some like uh pretty like intense speeches and all that kind of stuff and then it's like huh i don't really know about this but i'm still like really intrigued to see where this is going because i mean he's being kind of dumb and i don't like it i don't i just don't in general like like watch watch like watching characters like do dumb things in movies like it's more fun just if everyone's doing smart things but at the same time i was like huh where are we going now so i guess what i'm saying is like I, I really did enjoy that setup, even though if I was like, huh, I don't know about this choice they're making here to like all of a sudden like make Aflac be so irrational. But I'm like, I'm really excited to see where we're going to go because this is not like how I saw this movie going. I thought the whole movie was going to be about ripping off drug lords, you know? Yeah, I mean, I I actually kind of that was one aspect of it. I will say that I sort of liked um, I liked that it was a little grating to, you know, kind of have this this f- switch flip with, um, you know, with Ben Affleck, with the entire um, mood, I guess, of the early part of the film, um, because it, to me, it was realistic. You know, these guys are not thieves. Mm -hmm. They're, uh, you know, they're military operators and we're led to believe, you know, as, uh, as an audience, as a country in in the modern, whatever, you know, however you want to phrase that, that military people are, you know, there's sort of a moral authority to them, you know, in films, that's usually how it's presented. Um, you know, that, that people, you know, military men are morally good. And so in the early part of the film, I think we follow their actions. And I, I feel like I at least didn't really question it for the most part early in the film. And then they actually get to the house to, uh, you know, to rob it. Yeah. And suddenly they lose their cool, you know, the Ben Affleck loses his cool. And as the audience, you start to kind of lose it too. Cause you're like, Oh, hold on a minute. Like, wh- why did I get to this point where I'm, I've completely trusted everything that these, you know, military guys are saying. And, you know, as it starts to devolve, you sort of, you realize that there's some, there's sort of almost like a futility to, I guess that is a good point because I, uh, you know, it's like like you said, they're not professional thieves, so it, maybe it makes sense it should be a little sloppy. Even if they like have like they're really skilled in certain ways, like they it makes sense that they couldn't just all of a sudden perfectly become like the guys that could rob uh, someone of two hundred and fifty million dollars with zero complications. You know, so that makes sense. Right. I mean, and I, I'm glad you're pointing that point out because like pointing that out because like one of the things I enjoyed so much last year about widows was that it was like you know like this is what it would be like if people that aren't thieves like all of a sudden tried to do something like that. It's not Ocean's Eleven, you know. It's, right. it's a little different, and I guess things are going to get a little sloppy. And and you know, I mean, they they've been soldiers their entire lives, and I guess you have to make certain moral choices all the time as soldiers, but not often the kind where it's like, am I going to just take 
50 million dollars and be rich for the rest of my life or take 250 million dollars and just maybe create some complications for myself like that's a different kind of like uh moral dilemma to be put in i suppose and it makes sense that maybe that would just like kind of all of a sudden uh throw them off I don't know. exactly and that that's what i was saying i mean i don't think the you know i wasn't calling into question their technical competence i mean clearly these guys could you know anything that's going to involve uh, you know, a little bit of a military mindset they're going to be able to accomplish. It's really more of the, the moral and the psychological complexity that's required or, you know, complexities. That's a, that's a nice term. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but the, the psychological profile needed uh, to be a thief, mm-hmm. uh, to be a criminal. And so, you know, they get there and that's when that clicks in. You know, it's easy, I think, the movie is saying to armchair quarterback a heist Mm-hmm. And then to actually have to put it into play, you know, how many of us have, you know, been sitting at a coffee shop one day and thought, you know, how could I, I, I could, I could probably, you know, like I probably orchestrate, uh, you know, some kind of heist here if I really wanted to. <laughs> I've seen, I've seen, I've watched Ocean's Eleven 50 times. Uh, right. Everybody, everybody <laughs> has that thought, but yeah. it's getting to the point where you can actually do that and psychologically place yourself in that position that I think is mu- a much different beast and i did like the film i don't know if it was a a really clean one i think a a most violent year did a better job of tackling something like that Mm -hmm. um you know people who are pushed to crime by uh circumstances i think a most violent year did a better job of tackling that theme but i Mm -hmm. think that's where that was this was an interesting spin on it um you know in this movie yeah for sure and actually what i think i want to do is and we're not going to talk about anything else that happens from uh the robbery on like we didn't really give much away so i um even beyond that so what i'll say then is that i um i, I want to ask you a little bit about the performances before we just kind of move on and because i think you can still talk about what they were like i mean i think the the like one of the more like iconic images from this movie is going to be like ben affleck trying to sell that condo because it looks like he like put on like 60 pounds for this movie uh yeah i mean i guess the last few times we've like really seen him prominently in movies like the last few years i mean it's like he had to get like really in shape for batman and he was kind of like an action star in the accountant and in better shape in that like did you buy him as like a sh- like a shabby past his prime kind of dude yeah i mean i think i i definitely because i what i what i you know the risk of sounding a little i don't know erotic um <laughs> but i appreciate it i i i think it's you know, when you look at somebody's shape, it's like you can sort of tell when people have been in shape. And I really liked that about looking at, at Ben Affleck is like you look at the, like his musculature and you look at his body shape and you look at, you know, his face. And it's like you can, you know, he's at maybe a little out of shape or a little, you know, he's been dressed down for the part. Right. But it's like you can still tell that there is the, the framework of a former action hero, you know, under that under that, uh, you know, flesh and sinew. And I think that was sort of you know, that was an interesting part of that, of that, of the beginning and of that aspect, you know, the beginning to me was, you know, that the physical manifestation of how something like the military never really leaves you, no matter how hard you try. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, no, I mean, we've seen uh, countless numerous stories about, like, someone being pulled in for one last job, but, like, I certainly bought him as a guy that, like, whose circumstances were such that he would want to do that one last job. 
You know, I mean, uh, it's such a it's such a crazy thing to do what the characters set out to do in this movie. But so you got to like actually totally believe that like, hey, it makes sense for this guy to like want to go do that. And just seeing him like lumber around like some average looking condo. And I don't know where they were supposed to be when they were in America. Uh, I've heard a couple of different things, uh, but wherever it was, I mean, it didn't look like the like, most fun place to just be like living that kind of life. And uh, certainly all the expressions he made and everything he's saying to Oscar Isaac in those early scenes certainly bore that out. But at the same time, like I said, I thought it was really fun to see him all of a sudden in that mode. But then, like, doing the soldier stuff again. Like, this guy is, like, all of a sudden, like, goes from selling condos to, like, planning a massive drug heist. And I, 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 didn't, I didn't not buy it. So I, I, I certainly enjoyed him. And it was, uh, for a guy that we've seen in so many different movies, it seemed like something that was, like, uh, a slightly different role for him. You know? I mean, like, I, you've seen him maybe just be more like the, like I was saying before, and typical action guy, leading man, like, not look like that. So I... I, I appreciated it, and um, it was a fun group of dudes to hang out with, I guess, as much as you can say this is fun. I mean, like, it it obviously goes to some, like, pretty tough places, but, I mean, I, I'd i say my uh, respect went up for uh, Charlie Hunnam as an actor after I saw, like, Lost City of Z, so I wasn't surprised he could, like, pull something like this off. Um, same with, like, I don't know, same, same with all those dudes. You know, I don't know if you had any other things that really stuck with you. I mean, I thought Oscar Isaac kind of has to, like, hold everything together, and he certainly does that, you know, he... Um, is I guess kind of like the main dude and I he's done a lot of like soldier adjacent type of parts but this is like the most pure soldier he's been and I mean I, I was pretty convincing you know yeah I think um, I think that you know I give the actors a lot of credit especially yeah I mean Charlie Hunnam is guys like his career has been like so all over the place for me because yeah I like, really like Lost City Z really hated King Arthur um, I, I, pass, I, I passed on that Right. Yeah. You you certainly didn't miss anything. I feel like he's kind of like, he's like the ultimate features artist of film where it's like, I don't know if I would really ever build a movie around him, Mm. but like having him in a supporting role like that, like that was great. Like, I think Lost City of Z really worked because, you know, you had, uh, you know, you had, uh, Robert Pattinson was in it. You had, you you know, you had balancing factors, um, even Tom Holland, you know, for the parts that he was in it. Well, my um, biggest problem with Lost City is he, not to get too off track, was like, I, I, it's not really like James Gray's fault. Like, it's a true story. But like, when you see like him come back and he's like, yes, son, to Tom Holland, we're going to go fucking do this and go find the city. I'm like, all right, <laughs> I'm pumped. And then like, that's not what they do at all. And so I was like, I got my like expectations like super jacked in the middle of the movie to like see him and Tom Holland go on this expedition. And instead it's like, nope, they're just going to like kind of disappear in 10 minutes and the movie's over. <laughs> I, I, look, I personally think Lost City of Z is a fine comparison because you're talking about a bunch of guys going into the forest to try and oh. essentially it's a fine know. comparison i'm just saying that was like my problem with like lost city <laughs> right okay. yeah <laughs> um, I, 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 I was like I, excited I, to watch him like do stuff with tom holland and i even if like he's saying like yeah he's like surrounded by these other good actors and here it's the same thing it's like you know you don't maybe you don't want to rest the entire movie on his shoulders but i mean i i enjoyed thinking about what this dude was like i mean apparently he's like punching dudes out in Publix for like cutting him in line uh that was why i thought i was like oh are they in florida i don't know um are they, are they all living in florida all this delta force guys went back to florida uh i don't know but uh but yeah i mean 
that that was cool and um you know like pedro pascal like he's uh he's probably he's maybe like the smartest one except like he was just like so willing to go along with some dumb stuff which we'll talk about in a minute uh i i, I still i still bought him though like i thought it was kind of cool I, I i don't have i don't have a ton much much else to say i want to say before we get to spoilers other than like i i think elijah and i are fairly on the same page on this like it's totally like worth it to go check out a movie like this we were talking about it before he came on though and we can say like I, there aren't like a ton of like like mid mid action mid budget action movies like this anymore like we always like i we, we say it way too i talk about it way too much how you know you just don't have a lot of mid budget movies for adults anymore but like specifically like action movies like these feel like or crime movies as you described it they feel pretty few and far between and i think it has enough to offer that it's definitely worth checking out even if it's not something that's gonna like be in our top 15 movies at the end of the year yeah yeah i agree i mean it was uh, you know over going over you know the little films from the last couple of last year let's say you know if we're looking at you know generally crime and action together i mean i think it's better than den of thieves uh, I don't think it's as good as Widows, you know, or as good as The Night Comes for Us. You know, these these other movies that kind of fall in between that area of right. crimey, actiony sort of uh, films. So, uh, you know, I I think it's worth checking out. That's yeah. where I would place it. Yeah, definitely no Widows. Like I hadn't even thought about that in the context of this till I made that point about like heist. But like, yeah, uh, that was like my number three movie of last year. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> let's go ahead and jump into the spoiler section. Everyone, like, go watch it on Netflix and come back and listen to us talk. I, I know we might, we might have been a little clunky with how we tried to talk around certain things, but like uh, a lot of interesting stuff does happen in the second half of the movie. So um, I, I certainly recommend checking it out. Uh, Now's your chance to get out, get out, get out, get out. All right, now we're back. Yeah, man, so I guess what I would say is, like, uh, in this movie, like, they obviously pull off the heist, like we hinted at in the first half of the podcast, and it's like, wait, what, why is this so much time left in the movie? And I think what part of what I appreciated, while at the same time was also holding me back, was that it didn't really take any shortcuts in the second half of the movie, in my mind, as far as, like, what it would take to like pull something like that off you know and get to and get like i mean obviously like the plot was that they didn't really succeed all that much but like i i felt like every inch of like the journey they were on and like how difficult it was and what comes with that is just like a lot of not so exciting moments like just sitting around like being cold but like i was like i respect the storytelling and that they're like not making these guys like move too fast either you know it's like every bit as hard to like trek through the andes with millions of dollars as you would think so i was like I kind of that's where I was on it but it seemed like you might have had some other storytelling issues that you were trying to get at when we were awkwardly talking about around spoilers in the first half of the podcast right I mean yeah we'll get I, I can get to so there were some technical issues that I had especially in the okay. second half um that I, I guess we can come back to yeah, but, yeah. um uh, yeah I mean I just you know they, they go to rob the house and then you know in 10 minutes Laurie is dead you know the villain of the film that, pretty, that, that was one know, of the things I had written down on here for you is like, is it a problem to you that there's really no villain to speak of in this movie? Yeah, I mean, I feel like there wasn't enough written into the screenplay that positioned it as a, you know, a man versus society kind of story where or it really could have. Or, or a group of men versus themselves. Yeah, or men versus nature or whatever. You know, these different, uh, you know, the, the, the beginning of the film very much positioned it as man versus man and this notion that they were going to rip off this guy who was bad and his people were bad and everything is bad and then he's dead. And, you know, really throughout the rest of the film, we only really get, you know, at the last minute a couple of, you know, more little spurts of, the, of his influence Mm -hmm. But overall, I feel like, you know, that character as a manifestation of 
you know, of, of the drug problem in South America or as a manifestation of their need, you know, these soldiers need to, you know, exact their moralism on other people. Yeah. Um, the fact that he dies just kind of renders that whole point, I don't know, a little moot. And I think it's, it was a, you know, it was a very JC, to me, it was a very JC Chandor move to do okay. to kill him off. And I think it's just one that didn't land. Yeah. I would know? say that like, there is certainly a, a version of this movie that's like very different and you see firsthand what a lot of more of his influence is. Whereas like, um, a lot of it is just re- really implied here. And with some of this, the action that happens at the end of the movie, but I guess like, Maybe it just like didn't bother me as much because like I, f- it, it maybe just like seeing like a drug lord be a bad guy is something like I felt like I'd seen, so I wasn't like uh, really excited when he died. But I was like, oh okay, I'm interested to see where it was, and I, I guess this story was like interesting enough for me to like not be too turned off by that that i was just like i was there for them like being the uh being the cause of their own demise as a group and that being the villain in and of itself like their their egos and their personal weaknesses and all of that being their just undoing and i i guess i just kind of appreciated that irony when we'd had this big bad built up and it was like that was really like the least of their problems if they had just like been smarter and i guess i just kind of thought that was clever you know um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I agree, and I think part of the problem with that, though, is that when the movie, when the movie's overarching, to me at least, when the movie's overarching themes are about you know the moralism and about veterans' affairs, and the movie comes to you from the position of look what society has made veterans do, kind of thing. Right. I don't think the notion of making them all, you know, making them them making themselves the villains, kind of thing. I don't think that really works. It doesn't work, at least like it did in another movie that I kept comparing this to while I was watching it. I kept comparing it to Three Kings. Oh, that's a good one, yeah. You haven't seen Three Kings, but yeah. uh, for, for the audience members who haven't, it's a heist film, a military heist film starring um, George Clooney and Ice Cube and uh, Mark Wahlberg. During what, uh, the Persian Gulf War? Yeah, about three um, soldiers during the Gulf War who decide to go off on a rogue mission and steal uh, to I'd locate and steal a supposed cache of Saddam Hussein's gold, mm-hmm. uh, gold bullion. And I liked that that movie came at it from a perspective that these guys were idiots and that they were not uh, morally centered, and that they and it made it much more believable when their downfall was their own like their own fault. And that movie, I still think it recovered it. I still think Three Kings eventually said, you know, because they make all these dumb decisions in Three Kings that lead to things spinning out of control, and they lose the money, they lose the gold, um, and one, you know, Mark Wahlberg gets kidnapped and tortured, kind of things. But it does find its footing eventually. You know, they're they're forced to a position where they have to choose between between the money uh, and civilian lives mm-hmm. and they choose civilian lives. Right. This movie, Triple Frontier, it never really puts that choice before the characters and it never really. Well, so what do you make of when they actually land uh, next to like a bunch of, I don't want to call them villagers, but they're villagers slash uh, drug manufacturers, whatever. And all of a sudden, like out of self-preservation fear, like they, they pull the trigger on them, you know, like wh- what did you think of that sequence then? I I think it was undermined by the fact that they were, you know, making drugs because I don't think it lands so yeah, much they, the, they the criticism. That yeah, they don't feel as innocent as the villagers should to, like, put you in that moral quandary because, like, they're already, like, they already have their guns drawn as soon as they walk up on them, you know? Right, exactly. So I think, um, 
you know, I don't, I don't know if this was an issue with, you know, too many hands in the screenplay, but to me that felt like a conflicting, you know, some, I feel like JC Chandor, his version of this film, where it was his film and his film alone, that would have been a lot more of a brutal and, um, you know, morally gray scene. Uh, Mark Bowl, who wrote the other half of the screenplay, um, you know, who, who wrote the original draft of the screenplay and who is still, you know, largely, you know, it's his screenplay, just JC Chandor, you know, did some polish work on it and, you know, did a couple of changes here and there. I feel like that was more of a scene that he wrote and I, that's not to be disparaging, but I just don't think it fits within the rest of the film. Wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be less morally gray if the villagers had not been so, um, had, had been drug lords, you know what I mean? You said you said it. You said it. Would oh, be, sorry. Right. Right. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. You're, you're right. It would be less morally great. It would be more morally uh, wrong. Well, oh, <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And I guess in like the in like the big picture, maybe it makes it. Maybe that makes it in the big picture more morally great if you like put that put that X on the put that put that check in the not so good column for them. But I I, right. I, I totally get what you're saying, and uh, like I hear you, and the fact that like I guess they do what they should do at that moment, and they make right and give pay, pay these people off because like that would be really fucked up if they hadn't um with all that more money than they could already carry but then like they have they have the villager go and uh other villager go and like hunt them down and like shoot ben affleck even when it's like they've made peace with them so it's like man you understand them being angry but it's like you're portraying them as the kind of people that like have people like this that would like go on rogue murder missions at the same time so it's like are they really like the best example of like the uh, the of civilians that can like have their life upended by american intervention you know uh, well, exactly and that yeah. was that was a point that i was going to bring up is i actually really liked that side of the scene i really did like where uh pope and ben affleck red fly right they go and they talk to the you know the the all the older yeah you know the leader of the village and right. they give him the money and, the, and they take the mules and it was very it was, to me it was just very transactional mm-hmm. and i thought that was an actually that was actually an interesting you know symbolic uh you know is that like symbolic of like american foreign policy in the last 20 years yeah yeah, Yeah, absolutely (laughs) and i think about about uh, you know pmcs and this notion that it's like everything is transactional even warfare now this idea that we can just sort of pay people to kill other people to you know um you know we don't even fight our conflicts uh, up front anymore. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this movie, that, that was an interesting, that the second part of that scene was an interesting critique of that where, uh, you know, they've killed these people and now they just sort of are like, here, just take some, take some money and forget about it. <laughs> and I, I was not under the impression that the kid who comes back and kills, uh, and uh, eventually kills Ben Affleck spoilers guys, but yeah. eventually kills Ben Affleck. I wasn't under the impression that the, that the villagers sent him. I thought, the idea was that he was, you know, exacting revenge himself, which I thought right, no, that's, that's that how I do it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That furthered that metaphor of, you know, we think that we can just make conflicts in other countries disappear by either killing enough people or paying enough people off. But, you right. know, generational memory is a, no. you know, exists. Yeah, I like what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. no, I mean, did you, but did, did you have any other issue though with Affleck dying? Cause I thought that was what you were implying earlier or just the way, the way they got, the, I mean, I, I get what you're saying about how that makes sense, how they got to it in that regard. But was, was there some other issue you had with how they pulled it off? 
No, no, oh, really. Okay. I mean, that was fine to me. It was oh, mostly okay. just Gloria dying. That's when the film, to me, sort of oh, like, it's like, whoa. Okay, like, that, that's why I was so confused. We were talking earlier. I thought you were talking. About, when, I, when I was thinking about deaths, I guess that might be a problem. If like the villain's death like registered so little with me that like I had no idea that that was what you were talking about. Yeah. Um, that might be a problem in and of itself. But I, I got you. I got you. Um, I don't know. I mean, like they. So once you do get to the thing with like Affleck dying, I mean, it's obviously kind of sad and whatever. But like they, again, from that point on, it's like very very slow and i again i I, it's like makes it so i'm just like feel like less likely to ever want to watch this movie again because it is so slow but it's like it totally makes sense everything that happens to them from that point forth it's like what would happen if you're just like dropped in the mountains with like several million dollars several hundred million dollars and like really no other plan besides i we need to get to where a boat is very far away and like it wasn't like even the fact that they couldn't just ride the mules all the way there as much as that would have been like a lot worse than having to like fly a helicopter they can't even do that you know it's like it's it really feels like it doesn't make it easy on them at all and i i don't know i I just kind of appreciated that side of it even if it's really wasn't like the most like entertaining joyous fun viewing experience yeah i mean i um i definitely appreciate it uh you know for that for the elemental side of it i think there was like i said there was some technical issues i had with it um i i think some of the execution was kind of poor i mean it just or at least at the very least was pretty uninspired mm-hmm. um to me this was a film that you know with such a unique pre- pre-production history um, and really great star power and a good, you know, auteur voice behind the direction. I feel like it could have looked more unique than it did. And you yeah, know, the so execution I guess they filmed of some in, of the, where did they film? I said they filmed in Hawaii and somewhere they, else. They filmed in Colombia and okay. they filmed in Hawaii. And, okay. um, I just feel like some of the parts that were filmed, uh, and, you know, composited done, you know, VFX on the shots later. Yeah. To me, it just looked really obvious. Like there were some shots in the mountains where I was just like, uh, you know, like this is, yeah, I wasn't sure what to make of like pretty, the one where the helicopter trying to fly over the mountain. I was like, uh, it doesn't look quite as real as when they were on the ground. Um, right. That, and I know that the movie was made for not a whole lot of money. Right. Um, but I, uh, something like that should not be that expensive, you know, to make that shot look good. Gotcha. Um, okay. And so to me, it was just, there was some sloppy execution. I also, I liked, um, I, I don't know, not to get too nitpicky, but I liked um, the music. I liked Disaster Piece, uh, the guy who did the music. Right, right. I was um, that. You know, like he did It Follows, which I liked a lot. Um, and he did, um, like, the music for this video game, Fez. Um, so, like, the, uh, there were... There was some Metallica. I, I liked, right, yeah. <laughs> but I, I, you know, as far as, like, the score goes, I liked the score, but it just felt wrong like okay. it didn't it didn't feel like to me it wasn't like wasn't really utilized properly mm-hmm. i don't know i just it, the, i mean again i at the beginning i complimented this film for like even existing which is it's pretty mm-hmm. impressive all yeah. things considered but i just i wish you know i i wish i wish that maybe they just like you know it took another year and just actually you know once they got everything nailed down just tried to get it put together a little better instead of rushing it for distribution on netflix right 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 for sure um yeah i mean i guess we pretty much covered it you know i mean like i like i had already kind of like droned on and on about how I, I enjoyed like watching these guys like uh bicker and see other like personalities like uh hamstrung them throughout the way but like they they eventually like do i mean get pretty close to the end um and they're 
like right there, but all of a sudden, uh, Gloria has have like has like armies that are still like after them from the dead, or not even him, because they find out from the informant that like a bunch of drug drug lords uh, use that house as a bank. So it's who know, who who the hell knows who's after them. They have to dump all this money, and they basically have whatever they can fit in backpacks, and. Um, then they get back, and Oscar Isaac's had a um, already has a lawyer that has everything figured out. Smart man, and um, <laughs> and and then they then they all do the selfless thing and uh, leave the money for Red Vi's family. Uh, what did you think? What, what, what did you think of that scene? Uh, Charlie Hunnam being like the one that's like the very uh, generous and selfless one, and they have to all follow suit. Uh, I mean, I, it kind of made sense to me. So I mean, right, because he's the inspirational speaker. So yeah. you know, <laughs> oh, uh, there you go. Yeah, he is the moral core of their group. But, 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 but we soon see that we might have a uh, quadruple frontier on the horizon. Uh, Quintuple frontiers. Yeah. So uh, do you think we're going to go back to those coordinates? Um, I don't know. I mean, I I don't really know if I felt that that scene was necessary. Um, I think, you know, in a way, there was this sort of, you know, uh, maybe it was almost tragic that it's like they're you know, they've all made the right decisions and they've all, you know, well, except for Ben Affleck, who's dead. Um, but they've all, you know, they've all gotten to this place where they are, you know, content, but that money's calling them back again. And like, uh, I don't yeah, know. That well, was like, well, what's going to change with their situations. I mean, right. you know, they, 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 well, they, Oscar Isaac implies like, Hey, I might go like, uh, meet up with that girl again because it's implied they'd had some kind of relationship and she she makes off the best out of all of them. Um, and right, he gives her the money and then tells her to get out before anything serious happens. Yeah, so he's like, hey, am I go live with her in Australia? But it's like, I mean, I, I wouldn't bank on that being a, a long term relationship. Just just me speaking um, there. I don't know, maybe it is. But it's like all those other guys are going back to the same lives and they're all relatively young, you know. So it's like, unless their faces are all on billboards, there, you know, they could easily just like go back with and without attracting so much attention and you know just uh dig up this money i don't know i mean i can see why they could talk themselves into it as much of a as much as it was like a big effort just to get them all to agree to the first one i don't know right well they have a taste for it now so you know it's in their it's in their blood or, or the fact that they didn't get a huge taste of a literal taste uh from the the hall that that, that that's also the motivating factor they right they, exactly. they, none of them brought back any money I, I I don't I don't have a ton else to say. It's just like I I, I feel like we we did we did nitpick a decent amount, and I I want to make it clear that like there's still like a decent amount of fun stuff in this movie to like hold on to. Um, and I guess anyone that's still listening now, hopefully, you already saw it. So I guess I shouldn't turn on too much about like my recommendation, but I I'll, I'll just say that like it's definitely not like on the level of uh, Margin Call or uh, Most Violent Year. If we're talking like J C Shandor stuff, I'm a little cooler on All Is Lost, but like I really respect that movie. And I, I don't know, like, I, I, I see where, like, some of his influence kind of came in on this, but there's definitely, like, a version of this movie, as I think we can agree, that's, like, maybe just, like, a, a, a step above this, you know, and that's, that's fine, not everything is going to be five stars. Yeah, you're right, I agree. Give it any, any other final thoughts on stuff we forgot to touch on? I don't think so. All right. I think, we got, I think we got it, yeah. All right, man. Well, before we sign off, do you have any, uh, any, any, anything you want to plug? Any cool stuff <laughs> going on with your, with, with your folks at Turner? Yeah, um, NCAA March Madness is going to be on uh, TNT um, for the next, and uh, NBA TV for the next, uh, well, NBA TV has their own stuff, but uh, March Madness is on for the next several weeks, and uh, 
it's exciting. Go fill out your brackets if you're into basketball. Um, if Cartoon Network well, is more your thing, we have a new show debuting on the 30th, or sorry, the 29th, called uh, Victor and Valentino. It's got a kind of a Lucha Libre, uh, you know, Chili Con Carne sort of thing going on. Okay. Uh, it's a nice throwback, so. Well, as of this recording, people are, um, the, the NCAA tournament already started, so I don't think they can fill out their brackets, but best of luck in your brackets. I, I, the Gators will have played their first game. I'm about to sign off to go watch them. I'm hoping that they are still playing by the time you're listening to this on Friday or over the weekend. So we'll see about that. Uh, but yeah, uh, as usual, I'm on Twitter and Letterboxd uh, at Josh Chernovoy, J-O-S-H-J-U-R-N-O-V-O-Y. And big news, if you've been uh, watching us like or just like listening to us like on SoundCloud and just like signing on your computer and you don't have like the right app on your phone because you have a droid or something like that, the podcast is now on Spotify. If you just go search The Rewind Josh, there are some imposters out there that also have like the name The Rewind in their movie podcast, and I'm uh, going to have to go to some kind of battle with them. I don't really know what it is, but uh, you, can, you can find it easily if you just search The Rewind. Josh and Spotify if that's how you prefer to listen to your podcast so if you it, it, as opposed to SoundCloud or iTunes so thanks to everyone for listening uh, coming up next week we'll have an episode on Jordan Peele's Us so stay tuned for that